In episode 70 of MobyCast, we wrap up our bootcamp on microservices with a discussion on micro frontends. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about cloud-native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris and Rich. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, guys. Good to be back. Hey. All right. Great to have you here again, Rich. We missed you last week. Yeah. Finally got a week of vacation behind me, so I'm relaxed and now underwater trying to, to play catch up. You went to the presidential retreat in Kinnebunkport? I did. We were actually the closest house to their compound, and all signals were blocked, so I couldn't get calls. <laughs> Wi-Fi wi- wi- was decent i guess but spotty so it was nice because i didn't i didn't i had a real excuse to not get work done <laughs> great i i think it didn't fully work because i remember talking to you a couple of times last week but thanks for the extra effort despite being on vacation yeah i, I don't i don't quite yet know how to break away entirely that's a, <laughs> that's a lesson that that few have learned in my position i think but yes you have yes. actually you're the best at that that I know. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm always available. You're always available, but you do have a, you are able to vacation. <laughs> you figured that out. Right on. And Chris, what about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, just enjoying summer. It's finally kind of been, it's been here in Seattle, so I've been getting a lot of bike riding in. Although, I mean, today it's like, it's back to like, it feels like March or April. Oh, go, go figure. It's like, it's July and it's raining and maybe 60 degrees. And that's just really weird for this time of year. So it looks like hopefully we only have a couple of days of this and then it co- and then summer really, really kicks in. But I've been enjoying getting some uh, some miles on the bike. Fantastic. Yes. Whenever the Tour de France is on and I see people biking around, I know that they're putting in a little like a 15% extra effort just because the tour is on. Yeah, I'm, I'm a total cycling junkie. So, yeah, I'm, I'm watching the tour every day. And I can tell you when I'm out on my bike and climbing up a hill and it's like I'm suffering like a pig and it's like I want to get up. <laughs> I, I think back to the images that I saw on the Tour de France and I'm like come on you know I can't go as fast as him but I can suffer as much as he can so right, keep right. going right on so speaking of suffering today we're going to talk about microservices applied to UIs so this this actually does sound hard and it sounds like it could be something that could cause a team to suffer but might be worth it so these things are called micro front ends I don't know much about this concept um, and, and Chris, you were saying maybe nobody does because it's a fairly bleeding edge thing, but it'll be part three of our microservices bootcamp. And those are the words I was trying to say earlier. So yeah, let's get into it. Tell us what we're going to learn about, Chris. Yeah. So, um, you know, two previous episodes in this series was all about just microservices, traditional microservices and what they are and what they're good for and and some some guidance and tips and tricks on, you know, how do you actually use this in the real world, especially if you have an existing code base. And so today we'll be talking about, can we take that concept of all the good benefits that we get from microservices and why they're so popular for backend code? And can we apply it to the front end code? Can we, can we, can we actually apply it to our UIs? And it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea, right? So it's, it's all about, again, decomposition. You're, you're, you're splitting things up into um, separate independent entities. And can you deliver a cohesive single page web app? In this style, and that's that's the whole the whole idea behind micro front ends. And as we we get into it, we'll see that like definitely like some of the the exact same benefits for sure, but probably much more in the way of challenges. 
mm-hmm. with, 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 with UI. Yeah, let's, I guess you're going to probably tell us a bit more about what this is, but the first thing that comes to mind is that I guess this is different than what frameworks like React or Vue or Angular are trying to accomplish, where, where they are trying to break things down into components, but all the different components still live within the same code base and are part of the same overall JavaScript app that's running in the browser, right? This is breaking things down even more than that? Yeah, so, I mean, those, you can think of them as basically single repo, right? So it's a single Mm -hmm. app, all the code is contained within single repo, and that whole thing is standalone and and by itself. It can't, doesn't really exist without all the other code in that repo, and it is kind of independent, right? So all and and that's what all those frameworks and that's kind of like the traditional style and that's really kind of what by and large everyone is doing. Mm-hmm. So microservices, my, micro front ends applied to that would be breaking that up, and now you have say four repos, and you know each one of those is independently standalone, and together they, they 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 come together at the end of the day to form that same single page app, but it's four separate projects. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. Tell me more. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and maybe just so kind of like setting the the scene for this too, and kind of like just why even talk about this and whatnot. It's maybe just, for me personally, you know, going back maybe um, three years ago, real world project, not a huge development team, but you know, fairly large. I think we were about twenty people big, and t- trying to build a pretty pretty big web web application for for customers that had various different subcomponents to it. So we were, this was for the company Aravel, which was a scientific wellness company and very, very complicated business in that it dealt with lots of medical testing. So like for, for all these customers, they would get their blood tests, they get genomic testing done, they would get stool samples done for microbiome. They had behavioral aspects to it. So Put, put Fitbits on them and, and find out you know what they're doing from a, from an exercise standpoint. They would be paired up with coaches that would talk with them, communicate with them, come up with plans for how they can increase their wellness, and then they'd have the the follow up on that, like how well you're tracking against that. So it ended up being like we had many sub teams, each one of those responsible for very large components of that, and so we were faced with like, well, how, how do we go and and build this this big application this fairly complicated UI and make sure that it's consistent across all these different sub teams. And that's when we kind of started looking into this. Well, can we build this? Do we, do we do this as like a component or plugin style architecture where we can have kind of like a main, a main host, a parent application, and then have each one of these sub teams go work independently, go build their particular pieces. So like the coaching team goes and builds the coaching app and the, the, the visualization team goes and builds the app for visualizing all the medical information and um, the behavioral team goes and builds the app that's related to all about goals and how your, your habits and how you're achieving on that stuff. And so that was the motivation for doing that. It was like, you know, hey, how can we do this, spread the work across so many people have these independent teams that are going working on it, but still have a single cohesive application to the end user so that to them it looks everything is uniform and so we explored this model of doing that i think at the end of the day it ended up being like you know this is 
there's not a lot of support for this in the in the the tools and the the library space. Not a lot of other folks have done this. It was going to be a lot of heavy lifting, and of course, the business needed to deliver and, and, and ship apps, right? So we ended up not kind of going down that path. But it's kind of interesting now. It has definitely kind of latched on, and there there have been real world examples of people doing this and being successful with it. So it's it's a good time to talk about this and. I think, again, if you have a, it's going to be really applicable for folks that have teams that are bigger than just a, a, just one, bit bigger than one team, right? Working on the code. Right, right. So before we get into more technical detail, there are two things that come to my mind too, just as a prelude to this. One is the Kelsis project that we were working with a team that had already built a Ruby on Rails app that did a bunch of stuff to connect people to lawyers and set up basically let people browse a directory of lawyers and see what they were good at and you know communicate with them a little bit. And then Kelsis came along and, and we were supposed to build a meeting scheduling component. And that meeting scheduling component, um, we wanted to do it with Node.js backend and uh, React app frontend. And you know the existing thing was, was a full-on Rails monolith. And not only that, but the team was switching that Rails monolith for whatever reason to a J- Python Django monolith. I just really don't understand why they were doing that, but that's that's what they wanted to do. So we built this part of the UI that was kind of like its own page. Well, it was its own page where you could, you know, click on something in the Rails app. It would take you to this this other page that would let you schedule some, or you know, walk through a scheduling workflow. So there were several pieces to the scheduling workflow, and then end up back in the back in the Rails world with the thing scheduled, and you could see that scheduled thing in there. And so, as you can imagine, there were lots of little inter- integration points between the Rails app and the Node Node app. And some of the hardest parts of that integration was just, you know, kind of keeping, making sure that the person was still authenticated. And we did kind of a hacky thing where we just passed some cookie information from one app to the other because the cookie, you know, the both apps were in the same domain. And then we could look at that cookie, and if we had a if we had a match for that cookie in a Redis database, we could be like, oh yeah, yeah, for sure, this person must be logged in. So that was kind of hacky, and we could have done it in a more grown up way by having an overall OAuth thing, like a gosh, I'm forgetting the name of you know, like a one login or something, kind of managing the overall authentication experience across apps. But this feels like it's a little bit in the direction of what you're talking about. There was sort of a seamless integration between the two apps. The two things, you could jump from one to the other and back. They all look the same. And I think we even pulled static content from the same endpoint that the Rails apps pulled static content from. So is that kind of what you're talking about? Is that getting in in that direction where we sort of had a micro front end just for that one feature? What you were doing is exactly the reason why like we were talking about micro front ends, right? It's the same reason right? you basically have multiple teams that are working on front end code. Sometimes you want to use different technologies and different tech stacks. Mm -hmm. And so... This is you know one of those same those benefits of of micro, I mean just microservices in general right like this is the exact same thing with with microservices you want to be able to split up your your architecture your development multiple teams yep. you want to be able to use the the tech that's most that's most efficient for and, each team yeah right and you you want those things to be independent and then it's just mm-hmm. a matter of like how do you integrate it all and so you know from that standpoint. You know, you you could call like what what you were doing there in that in that example micro front ends. The we'll get into this more. Just like okay, the implementation. Like, how do you actually right, do right. these things, and what are some of the things you have to pay attention to? And you alluded to some of that stuff, right? So communication right. between the separate apps, like that's a huge huge piece of this. And the way right. that 
you had to do the communication was, you know, through cookies. Mm-hmm. And like you said, not not the mo- most robust way and not the not not a very tight, you know, cohesive way of, of communicating between them. But right, you right. also okay, so- Probably in a, in a situation where they were really again, this wasn't a, a full up micro front end, and you you really couldn't change one that much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so last thing, I think the those of us that have been around for a little bit, you know, we we still haven't got into the implementation details about about how you do this. But those of, of of us that are listening that have been around for a little bit might say, "Wait, Chris, this is just portals. Everybody's got portals. Don't don't try to sell me on a new word, right?" Yeah, yeah, and. <laughs> so that's going way, way back. Right? When, it's not when though. Every, There's so many. Every, go online and look up RFP to make a portal for an enterprise company. You'll find a hundred. Yeah, still I, it's. I'm thinking back to like the days of like just um, MSN and, oh, yeah, okay, okay. and AOL, right? Like that's. I mean, I was, I was when I was back at <laughs> Microsoft way back when we walked to work in the snow. <laughs> you know, we had a whole. We had a team called the Portal Team. And that was basically the homepage for MSN, right? And so, yeah, I mean, those they're similar in that it's you have multiple components that are composited together to deliver a single page. But I think like the the big difference there is like there was not the communication between those components. Okay. Yeah, right? they were, were um, at all. Right. Yeah. So it was just kind of like the, you could think of it as just it was like just the way that a new it, it was really very similar to the way that newspapers do layout right they leave open mm-hmm. they they figure out what stories are going where and they leave open open blocks for these stories to go in and then they just fill them in and so mm-hmm. that's kind of like what the what portals really were and are okay cool so now what are these micro uis right micro so we, we've kind of covered this and, and just kind of just talking through some of these examples and whatnot but like think of it think of micro front ends again as a taking the microservice architecture concept and it's applying it now to the front end development not just to back end development so it's not just services that are exposing apis it's actually ui applications and developing them in a, in a microservices style so you can kind of think of this as like app construction via composition Sure. So, but I guess I want to know more. Like, are, do you have a bunch of iframes in your page? Like, what do you? What is this? Yeah. So, and we we will we can kind of get into that when we get into more like just implement implementation. For right now, I think we can kind of just stay with the definition that like micro micro front ends are. They have a a hosting a parent application, if you will. That's kind of like manage. It's it's kind of allowing these things to be to be plugged to, to um, inserted into it and, and perhaps even taken out their independent sub applications that are, that are being hosted by that parent. And then there's communication between them. Right. Okay. And so that's just from kind of like a, an overall definition. That's kind of like how these things look and then implementation of course, there's a million ways to, to implement this. Um, and we'll, We'll kind of talk about some of the pros and cons of how that that, that works. But so again, you're you're it's it's constructing your app via composition. You hit, you're splitting your UI into multiple applications. Each one of those projects is developed, it's tested, it's deployed independently, right? And you know, even though you're now your application is split into multiple different projects, they all come together, they're integrated into that that single page app. That's response, and that's your that runtime shell is responsible for presenting, and so for the end user that's using it to them, they just see a single app, right? They're not making right. like, this is four separate things. 
it's just a single app. I would imagine, you know, one example of this would be Gmail. So you have Gmail, it's got your email in it, and then off in the corner is like this Google Chat thing. So everybody has has that experience. I'm sure that the Google Chat part of your Gmail page is not in the same repository as the rest of Gmail. I'd almost guarantee it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I would absolutely agree with that as well. And again, how much this falls into like a, a micro front end. Otherwise, we're never going to know. Okay, so I think we have to get into the implementation details in order to know what these really are, because, uh, you know, we're looking at examples and we're saying, yes, that may be kind of like micro front ends, but it's not, tech, you know, officially a micro front end. And so in order to know what the difference is between this new official micro front end and what we what we might call as just separate apps that we've built, you know, like Google did or like Kelsey did in the past, what we have to know what a, what the implementation details of a micro front end are. So maybe we can do that. And then after that, we can talk about some of the benefits of using microfrontend. Would that be okay? Yeah. And I, again, I think I think for us, if we just kind of stick with the, for this particular discussion, microfrontend, we're talking about somewhere there's a parent application that allows sub apps to be hosted within it. And there's a communication architecture between them so that the parent app knows about them and is responsible for doing things like, routing and, and initializing these apps, um, managing their life cycle, that communication between them, right? So it's, it's, it's actually been designed from the beginning to be this integrated cohesive thing versus you're going to find lots of shades of gray out there in the real world for things like you mentioned, like Gmail and, and Gchat, where, you know, that is something that was definitely not part of the original it's not part of the original architecture there's probably not this this robust communication channel between the two of them instead it's they've figured out some way for those two things to talk right so it could very well just be a post to some api to pass information or whatnot and that could be posted in an iframe or something and so in the real world we'll get we'll see lots of examples of of applications that are moving towards this this time yeah, like composed, kind of ideal, like right? Multiple um, applications composed on a page, but not necessarily mm-hmm. with this in mind. Okay. Yeah, okay. but we, we, but we, yeah, but we won't call them strictly like a micro front end, right? Okay. Um, there, but they are they're being built that way because mm-hmm. of the benefits that micro front ends give you, right? They're all kind of like the it's all being driven by the same the same benefits, right? They want you want to have multiple teams working on independent code bases. You want them presented to the user so they really don't know or care that it comes from separate apps. You want things to be able to be deployed independently. So so they were built that way and they exist that way because of these these the, the strong benefits that you get. It's just the way they were implemented is not necessarily what, we, what we're calling micro front ends. Hey, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 50,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head over to iTunes and leave us a review and or a rating. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in. Okay. So, yeah. So how are they implemented? That makes them right. like front ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And maybe before we get there, just to kind of briefly call out some of the differences between microservices and micro front ends, because I think this is a little bit helpful because they, they are, they, they share a lot of the same terminology. They share a lot of the same benefits, but 
they are implemented. There, there's some there's some there's some implementation differences here. So, you know, microservices, they're typically each of those services are typically standalone. They're not typically hosted within another service, although they can be, right? Like you can have a, a microservice that I mean, they're, they're, they're just not typically. I mean, in that case, it might be shared libraries and you, or you could say it's, it's upstream dependencies or whatnot. But for the most part, they're standalone, right? And, and mm-hmm. composition is happening outside of them via, via routing, like with a reverse proxy, you know, such a load balancer type thing, right? Versus micro front ends, these do have that, they have that parent app, that shell, and these things are now running inside of them, right? So it's a bit more like, you can think of more of like modular library style or um, think, think of it as like as, as your, it, it's a component plugin style of architecture um, okay. that you're popping in there. And so in that sense, it's a little bit, I mean, it's almost like, it's more like a monolith, like a well-designed monolith mm-hmm. in a way, right? Cause you can think of it as a well-designed monolith as like a, as a, as a parent shell. And then you have the various pieces that are, you know, if you've designed it really cleanly, and modularly, then you might have a module for authentication. You might have one for logging. You might have one for the, the e-commerce part of the site. You might have one for profiles or something like that. And so you, it would probably be more analogous to that. Okay. Um, now right? we're getting where I wanted to go. I wanted to, that is the fundamental thing I wanted to know. Like, are the things iframes or are we loading JavaScript into, like, are we actually able to call JavaScript functions because we're loading JavaScript into the interpreter? Mm-hmm. Um, and other, these other, you know, quote unquote, standalone applications, they're, they're really just JavaScript that you can call directly from your parent application. And if that's the case, that helps me, like, get my head around this. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it's the latter. You really are loading up some JavaScript. The interpreter has access to it. And all the dangers and everything that comes along with it, like, oh, you might have just blown away, you know, renamed something that was already in there or, or whatever. Like, it's interpreted language, so it, everything happens at runtime. So you have to be some care- careful with your naming and everything like that. But once it's in there, you can call it, you can do stuff, you can, you know, run functions and look at results. And those functions might call an HTTP service, like they might call a microservice. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, and so... You know, that is getting kind of more into the the nuts and bolts of it, um, the implementation. Like, you know, what does this mean? So it's definitely not just this, hey, I'm I'm loading up an iframe that just mm-hmm. is a whole nother, like, you know, web app um, and then host it inside that iframe, right? That's not a micro front end. It's, that's, that's not what we're calling a micro front end architecture, right? Because it doesn't have the that integration in with the rest of it and the, the, the communication channel and, and just being a, a, a cohesive one cohesive app right so i mean you could right like you could have a bunch of iframes and they could each have their own open web sockets and like you could have one iframe do some stuff that changes state and the other iframes are listening on to the web socket that tells them about state and it looks like it's all a single thing but it's just really hard yeah but how do those iframes share information with other iframes via the server right so the iframes like hey i'm i'm doing this and i'm doing that and and the server's like Okay, you know, anybody that's listening, this is what's happening. And the other things that are listening are like, oh, yes, I'm going to change the way I look because I just heard something that happened. And it might not be aware of the of the other iframe where the things are happening, but it, it just knows that it has to update itself whenever it gets a command or, you know, a message down from the WebSocket. So you can do this, I guess is what I'm getting at. But it's just, like I said, it's a lot of work. You can do it, 
but please don't. <laughs> because, I mean, so I mean, that, that, I mean right? like when I told you that Kelsa story about we, we had our whole separate React app and it was on its own page. And like there were parts of the, it, uh, yeah, it was implemented as an iframe and there were parts of the out, out of the outer page that had to be updated when in stuff inside the iframe changed and the outer page like kind of had to ask the server like it, it was like oh tell mm-hmm. me server what's going yeah. on yeah yeah and i mean so this i mean again it's a good example because it kind of it gets into the more of like okay when we talk about micro front end for the purposes of this discussion what are some of the, the features and what is what what are some of the characteristics it has and so again, having that communication channel of things being able to talk to each other um, and being a cohesive, architected app, and you wouldn't have to do these kinds of calisthenics, acts, right? Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, because really, what you're like, what you're describing there is, is it kind of feels like it's, it's multiple clients, right? It's a client mm-hmm. server application, it's multiple clients, and each one of those iframes is an individual client. You can use WebSockets or something like that for receiving basically push notifications when things do change, and then you go and update, right? Versus with a with a micro front end, you can keep all that communication right there inside the browser, right. not having to go over the inner tubes. And so being notified when those things changes, right? Like one app to another one can just make that they can just they can just see that information, right? That that channel exists, and so that's that's one of the the big differences here and the benefits of of kind of going down this route of, of having a full full up micro front end. Okay, cool. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, along those lines, so it's, you know, so when it comes to implementation of these things, like what are some of the, the things that you have to take, take into account that you need to, 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 to deal with. And so you're definitely going to be thinking about routing and loading apps. And so again, you have this, this parent app, so it's going to be responsible for routing requests to the appropriate app, loading and unloading those apps. It, going to have to manage the app life cycles as well there are like what happens when the page reloads it it's going to be responsible for establishing that communication channel between itself and the apps and then you have to decide okay well how how does communication happen is there any you know direct app to app communication or does it all go through the parent or whatever but i mean that's kind of an implementation detail you're going to be thinking about like shared code and how these apps get access to that code. Again, maybe it's this is exposed via interfaces of your parent shell, right? And so you're defining what those interfaces are and what services are going to be available, what common services are basically available to each one of these apps. And then we've, we've talked about this, we've, we've alluded to it several times, but just from the standpoint of implementation, iframes, don't do it. You're going to really want to have that parent shell application to give you all those benefits that we're talking about versus the iframes. It's really just a collection of independent apps that can't really talk to each other in a in an efficient manner. So we talk about different apps and and I'm, you know, I'm still trying to get my head around what that means. Are you in your mind are you kind of applying a particular framework like React to this because React does have a concept of an app. So are you imagining there's multiple React apps running inside, you know, a parent page? Yeah, I mean, what do you mean by app? I guess is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. So an app, I think in this particular case, you can think of an app as a a bundle of it's a bundle, right? That's built independently. It's and it's deployed independently. And so, just like in a normal single page app, like a React app or or an Angular app, as part of its startup, it's going in and it's getting that bundle and loading up that that JavaScript. 
you can think of this as microfin as being kind of like the the meta version of that where it has its own bundle it loads up and then it has some way of being told these are the other apps that are part of it go fetch those bundles and also have a way for those bundles to be updated while I'm running as well and so as far as like is it a you know is it a is it a full blown react app is it an angular app is it vue all of those are going to end up becoming very implementation specific i think the other thing that's kind of really important to call out here is like this is not a robust mature architecture pattern so micro front ends is definitely not something that a lot of people have done there's i'm not even really sure there's any good libraries or frameworks out there that actually support this kind of architecture. So there's plenty of front-end frameworks out there for dealing with single-page apps, but I'm not sure that there's really any out there that are addressing like the micro front-end framework, if you will. I think the key key that, that I'm hearing is like, Okay, so you could, if you wanted to, have a React app and it could have different components in it. And you could be like, hey, guess what? I'm putting my different components in different GitHub repositories. And you could do that. And you could maybe make those GitHub repositories like submodules or something. But you would just live with pain because your React app wouldn't run unless it had all of the code that it needed. And it, all that code would need to be served somewhere kind of from the same place. But what I'm hearing you say is that You've got to build something inside. Again, maybe it's a React app. You've got to build something that's like, I'm going to go get these things at these different URLs. And those things, once I I get them, they're going to kind of turn themselves into the component. And that's not quite how React works. React React works by getting everything all at once and loading it. And And what you're saying is, get me... I'm going to get everything and load it. Oh, and look at these smaller pieces. They come from URLs. Let me go get what's in those URLs and then inflate whatever comes back. And then even, even beyond that, you're also saying, not only am I going to get this thing at this URL and inflate it, but every once in a while, I'm going to go see if there's any change to that thing so that you know if this person leaves this page up for days, they don't end up with an old app sitting there. Like we can we can go get the new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so yeah, I mean, that that is... So the, you know, for implementation standpoint, like what makes this different is like one, you need to build that parent shell, that runtime, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that is like a big, hard, hairy piece to go build. That's Mm -hmm. the part that you have to go think about all these things like routing, loading, unloading apps, handling application life cycles, the communication between the apps, what shared services you're going to have, like all that, you know, you, that's, that's actually the bulk of the work here is building that parent runtime. And it's kind of funny because the you know the HTTP mechanism for doing that easily is iframes, but it's like no 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 actually don't do this with an iframe because then you the iframe comes with a whole bunch of just history and crap. <laughs> like Yeah, I mean so, so it, it, again, it, it depends on your situation. I mean, it may be like, I mean, we're kind of really alluding to this strongly, right? Like micro front ends is not easy. Uh-huh. It's very difficult. It's very complicated. It's not very mature as an architecture pattern. And um, so there's, this is a lot of work right. and you have to make sure like this is right for you. If it really is like, hey, I just want to have this, this other, you know, air quotes app 
hosted on this with inside this, then it could be something like an iframe works well for you. Just mm-hmm. iframes in general, again, they're they're going to be sandboxed, so they really can't talk to anything else inside that. So that you almost have to build like an an API with when you have yeah. an iframe, like mm-hmm. the, the iframe. Yeah. Can say, hey, this world, and the world can be like, okay, I'll listen to that and do something, and then and then the you know like and it's an API. Yeah. Between the iframe yeah. and the hosting page. Yeah. You do have some security issues as well. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, some some users may very well not allow iframes in their browser as well and that just just may break right so there's there's just a lot of there's a lot of trade-offs there and and, and back right. and forth right so and if you're um, just kind of going to a url getting some code inflating it and saying okay okay you know dom go make these components now because i just got them then all of those all of those like things that have grown up around the iframe world to protect us are not going to be something you have to worry about. So that, that does help a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, maybe just to kind of wrap this up a, a bit, you know, we've kind of gotten into this where just micro front ends are definitely not for every project, you know, warning there are cliffs ahead and, you know, you do run the risk of running into a lot of problems here. So be really, so be aware of it. Like, it's it's interesting and um, it it may be something that you're going to want to go and, and and look into more. Just it's going to be much more suitable for large applications. So again, if you've got a team of you know five or six people, probably not big enough, right, to justify this. But if you got a team of fifty um, and you have a very big, very large UI um, application with lots of different components to it then you're going to want to look at this pretty, pretty seriously. You know where I but, think it would be so good, Chris? Because I think, I think like a lot of large applications, they purposefully are designed to keep the different stuff you can do on completely separate pages so that you don't have this problem, right? Like I'm going to do my billing over here. I'm going to do my, on this whole other page and I'm going to do my, you know, profile management over here on this other whole page. And that way those two pages can be totally separate apps totally totally separate apps right like there's no parent app kind of keeping them together like we're talking about mm-hmm. front ends but if if you were to be able to do this with micro front ends there starts to be certain interactions between things that you can accomplish that could be really cool like if you could sort of you know if two things that were that normally i have to flop back and forth between two pages in order to get work done if i could see them side by side that's pretty powerful mm-hmm. Here's a very real world example where the micro front end architecture would be really useful and interesting. The AWS console. Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking about too. How funny. Yeah. So, you know, here it is. It's just, there's a, it's just a collection of many different UI front ends for interacting with the various AWS services, each one developed independently by a different team. And it shows, mm-hmm. right? Like you, totally different UIs on each one of these things and no coordination back and forth. I mean, they'll have links, but it just navigates you away from that back over to the the other app for it. Right. So right. imagine if it was, you know, one big micro front end architecture. Right. And you're like, you're like uh, and you're like, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, what's your service role for this? And, it, and then you click a little add button. And instead of going over to IAM, it's like, mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. a, little, a little place right in there where you can make a new role. Yeah. New business idea right there. Someone go build it. Go 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 build a better console for AWS. Yeah. There's nothing stopping you doing it. You have all the APIs. Everything's exposed via API. Right. Make it open source and then AWS will just use it. <laughs> <laughs>
no, no, not open source. Build it and sell it. <laughs> right. You know that that we've talked a lot about it, open source and AWS in the past. Yeah, indeed. All right. Well, very cool. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we close it up for today? No, I think that covers it. I just definitely wanted to talk about micro front ends. It's um, just as a way of kind of like wrapping up this this mini series on on just microservices, and you know, it's very well established pattern for doing microservices approach with with backend code with services that expose their functionality via APIs, but hey, you can also kind of start looking at this approach for your UI front ends as well, just as a, a matter of completeness. So something to check out and look more into if you're interested. Right on. Thanks, Chris. And, you know, just last, last thing before we close here is, is I was just thinking with Rich on the phone or on the line that that WordPress itself is kind of built in a micro front end type way. Um, they have a pluggable architecture. You can they have all kinds of things that you can add to it, and the, they they go right into the UI. But they're all built by totally separate teams that have never even met each other. It's kind of an example of this, wouldn't you say, Rich? Sort of, because typically the plugins focus primarily on like business logic, and then you would still use the theme to display any of that. Oh, okay. Okay. So it is it is pluggable and extendable in the sense that you know if you're writing your your themes and your codes right, you're you're adding hooks right that you can filter through, remove, edit, update, and then actually replace. Uh-huh. But the front end is still controlled by the theme, which is why the idea of taking WordPress headless is more exciting, right? So you can kind uh-huh. of get, get away from that. Ah, interesting thought. Well, very cool. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash seven zero. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.